0: All right, so good to be with you here on this Mother's Day. Welcome all the mamas, mommies, moms. Uh, Glad you're here today. Can we give a hand for all the moms here in the room today? We are so grateful uh, for all that you do and all the ways that you serve uh, the people around you. And that's what we're talking about today is what does it mean for us to be servants? We're in a series called Who Am I? And we're struggling with that question. How do I understand who I am? We launched this series, uh, Greg Meek, our pastor to family, started us off talking about that foundational question of how do I understand who I am? And we discovered in Genesis chapter two that the foundation of who we are is that we are created in God's image, meaning that we have dignity and destiny. We have dignity and sacred worth because a loving, powerful God gave us life. And because we have a soul, we have an eternal destination. And thanks be to God that because of what Jesus has done, by faith in him, our destiny can be with God forever in the heaven and new heaven and new earth that God is bringing. We can be with God in his presence forever when we trust in Christ. Last week, we wrestled with the question, if I'm created by God, then how do I relate to God? And we discovered that when we come to God by faith in Christ, that God says to us, you are my son, you are my daughter. And no matter what we try to do in this life or what we try to experience in this life, we cannot achieve what we can only receive from God, which is identity in him. And today we're going to talk about this question, if I'm created by God and everybody else is created by God around me, then how do I relate to others? And what we're going to discover is that in Christ we are created to be a servant. Now, the way God so often works, is he doesn't just leave us in the dark to figure things out for ourselves, but God makes a move toward us, he pursues us, he teaches and guides us, and so often he leads by example, and he lets us know how we're to live. And so God sent his son Jesus into the world to show us this is what your life is to look like, how we relate to others. And we're going to discover it in John chapter 13, We're going to read verses 1 through 17, if you have your Bibles. So let's take a look together. It was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Pause there for a second. Everything we're about to discover from here on out is rooted in this statement, that all authority had been given to Jesus. He does not find himself in a place where he's forced to be a servant. He chooses to be a servant because of who he is the Son of God, so let's keep going. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, "'Lord, are you gonna wash my feet?' Jesus replied, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them, you call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet i set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So here in the Son of God, the presence of God on earth, Jesus leaves the highest of roles for the lowest of actions, not forced to, but choosing to come not to be served, but to serve, not to take a place of honor, but to lift others up. And he says, if you will follow after me, there is a blessing to be had in this. Now, what is exactly happening here in this moment? Why, why this moment? To wash the disciples' feet. Why this gathering? Well, the author tells us that they were gathered for the Passover meal. Let me show you a picture of what a Passover meal might look like. Uh, this is a, an, an artist's rendering of a Passover meal gathered around a table called a triclinium, a three-sided table and you would gather for this meal and any special meal like this, you would come and you would recline, not sit in a chair, you would recline and you would lean on your left arm and you would eat with your right. And as you would come in for a special meal like this, uh, you would want to make sure that everything was just so and just right. And part of that was that when you came into the home of the host who was having that meal, the servant of the house would come and wash your feet. Now, why? Well, in the first century, there weren't a lot of paved roads. There were some uh, stone roads, but a lot of dirt roads, a lot of uh, animals and livestock on those roads. And they didn't have Nikes or Under Armour or Uggs or whatever it is that we uh, wear today. They were in open-toed, open-foot sandals. And so you can imagine all the dirt and all the other stuff Uh, that gets on your feet. And so you would come and you would recline at this table and the servant would come behind you with your feet uh, behind you and they'd wash your feet. Now, I don't know if you've ever been like hiking or you've just been out running barefoot and your feet get kind of nasty and you come in and you wash your feet. And even though you don't wash all of you, doesn't it just kind of feel good to, to get that muck and that grime and that dirt off your feet? And that was kind of a gift that would be given to the people who would come to the meal, that they would have their feet washed. But it was always the role of the servant. And Jesus, who is the host, comes in and rather than having his feet washed, he gets up and he begins to wash the feet of the disciples one at a time working around the table. Now that working around the table was significant because we actually know the positioning of the people around the table And we know where four of the people in particular were sitting. Now we know the positioning of the table that you would start over on this end of the table. And these were the most important, as far as status, people sitting at the table. And as you worked your way around the table, you got lower and lower and lower in status until you got over here to the end of the table. And this was the seat where the servant of the house would sit. And most often, over here to uh, the right was the kitchen and the place where you would get the the food and and the materials for the meal. And so it was easy for that servant to come in and out and be able to serve the people around the table. Now as we keep reading in the story, starting in John chapter uh, 13 verse 24, we get some clues about where some of the people are sitting around the table. Jesus is there with the table and he says, hey, one of you is about to betray me. And you can imagine the stir that that creates around the table of uh, what in the world's going on? Like, who's gonna betray us? And the text tells us that Peter looks across the table to the one who Jesus loves. Now, if you, you don't, aren't aware of this, in the Gospel of John, the one who Jesus loves is John. And so the one that Jesus loves is asked by Peter, who's sitting across from the table from him, ask Jesus who he's talking about. And it tells us that John leans up into Jesus and almost whispers into his ear, who is it? Now we know where Jesus is sitting because he's the host of this meal. And the host of the meal always sat in the second place. To his right, our left, would be the seat of the one who was helping to host the meal. It was the the special helper. And because you're leaning in on your left arm, you would be leaning up against the person to your left. And so we know that in this seat, the first seat is the seat of John. And John is leaning into Jesus and he's asking him, who's it going to be? And what is Jesus' response? It's the one who I dip the bread with. Now, who's he dipping the bread with? He's dipping, sharing a bowl with the person to his left. And so we know Judas is sitting to his left. Now, this could be another sermon for another day, but it's pretty remarkable that this is the seat of honor, that Jesus placed the one he knew would betray him in the seat of honor right next to him. But for our purposes today, what we're getting to is who is it that's sitting over here? Well, it's the one who was across the table from John. And so here in the servant seat is Peter. Now, why would Jesus place Peter in the seat of the servant? Well, we know from church history and we read through the book of Acts that Peter became one of the significant leaders of the early church. Now, let's think back to what Jesus says about leadership. Jesus says the ones in this world who are lords and kings and rulers, they lord it over you, but that's not the way it's going to be with you. How are you going to lead? Whoever wants to be first will be last. If you want to be in authority and power, if you want to have special responsibility, you will do as I have done and you will bow down and you will serve others. This is a lesson for Peter. This is a life lesson. In a way, this is Jesus setting Peter up for what's to come. That, Peter, you are going to have a great responsibility and a special role, but that role is not like the rulers of this world. You are going to bow down and serve the people around you. And as Peter is watching Jesus work his way around the table, there's something rising up in Peter. And it's not something warm and fuzzy. So let's go to the next image. And here we see there's John and Jesus and Judas. Jesus in the seat of the host. John is the special helper. Judas in the seat of honor. And here's Peter in the servant seat. the story tells us that Jesus gets up and he begins to wash the disciples' feet, taking off his robe, getting the towel. And I imagine he started with John, the person closest to him. And then he's working his way around the table doing what? going from the seats of most importance to the seats of least importance. And he gets to Peter, who's in the last seat, the servant seat. And what does Peter say? Hey, Jesus, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus says, I have to do this. And Peter cries out. And he says, um, no, this isn't going to happen. You, you can't wash my feet. Now, why would Peter say that? Well, think about what's happening as Jesus is working his way around the table. Number one is that Peter's got a lot of time to think about what Jesus is doing. And we know from the Gospels that Peter has a very specific idea about who Jesus is and what he's supposed to be and what his status means for him. Because Peter was very clear, you are the Messiah, you are the Anointed One. As you read through the Gospels, this was the declaration of faith by Peter at Caesarea Philippi. You are the Savior. But for him, he thinks what that means is that Peter is going to watch Jesus come into Jerusalem and throw out the Romans and establish a new empire. And he's going to take his seat of honor on this planet in this moment. And Peter wants to be there when he sees that. And what Jesus is doing right now, taking on the role of a servant, does not compute with Peter. Time out, Jesus. This is not the way this is supposed to work. But I think there's something else happening as well. As Jesus is working his way around the table, getting to Peter, I think Peter realizes more and more that he had a missed opportunity. Jesus placed him in the servant seat. And yet here is the one who's hosting the meal having to take on the role of a servant when Peter could have stepped up in obedience and taken on that role. And so with each and every disciple that Jesus was washing their feet, it's another dagger to Peter to realize that could have been me. I could have done what Jesus had called me to do and I missed it. And so it gets to Peter and Peter is a mess. And he says, wait, you can't wash my feet. And Jesus says, listen, if I don't wash your feet, then, then you don't have a part in me. And so Peter, like he so often does, he speaks before he thinks. He says, okay, then all of me, Jesus, just pour it all over me, wash me. And I wonder if Jesus kind of chuckles in that moment. He's like, Peter, this is not about a bath. This is about the life that I've called you to. To receive what I'm doing for you so that you can give it to others. See, Peter was called by Christ to receive so that he could give. To submit to the offering of Christ that only Jesus could bring, that he could be transformed and step into life and offer it to others. And Jesus in a very real way in this moment was making it clear to Peter what that looked like, that we take on the role, not forced to, but choose to take on the role of a servant. This is who we're created to be. And just like Peter, God's calling out to us as well. Would you willingly step into this role of a servant? Because that's who we're created to be in Christ. That we lower ourselves so that Christ could elevate us. And just like Peter, We have some struggles, some barriers, some boundaries that we have to work through as well. We have some real boundaries to work through when we're called to be a servant. One of those barriers that we face could be pride. That we just think that we are above what the role is before us. Now, one of the things that I'm experiencing more and more in life Isn't it better to choose humility rather than to fall into humility? Wouldn't we rather choose for ourselves, I'm going to humble myself and serve others, than to get to a point where we are forced to be humble? Because the reality is, is that we might puff ourselves up with pride, and there's going to come a moment in life where we are humbled where there's going to be something in life that we couldn't predict and we couldn't prevent, and here we are. And we made a bad choice or a wrong move or we hurt somebody, and here we are, and we thought we were all that, and we realized we're not so much. And God is calling us to willfully say, Lord, I'm going to humble myself before you. Now, none of us, we've talked about this before, none of us are going to just jump up and down and shake our hand like, hey, I'm I'm prideful, look at me, like, uh, this is my problem. And so we've talked about before a couple of questions to ask to kind of diagnose how much pride's going on in our life. And one of the questions is, do I see the world as being centered on me? And again, none of us would raise our hand and say, yeah, the world's all about me. But let me ask you the question, when something changes in your life or transitions or there's a difficulty in your life, who is the first person you think about? Me, right? Another question to ask is not just, is the world centered around me, but do I find myself saying the words, I deserve dot, dot, dot? Or maybe I don't deserve dot, dot, dot? And yet we look at Christ who if anybody deserved anything in all history, in all the world, in all creation, he deserved glory and honor and power and to be served and yet he let it all go and came into the world not to be served, but to serve. As a matter of fact, to go to the cross and give up his life for you and me. That is the the call, the, the look of humility. And so how do we say, Lord, I need you to deal with the pride in me and move me toward a humble heart where I trust you. Well, it may just be that what we need to embrace is being Jesus-centered and grace-driven. To be Jesus-centered, to understand the world does not revolve around me because it already revolves around him, that it is all centered on Jesus and he will get the glory. And to know in reality, you know what? I don't make a very good God and neither do you. Because there's going to be those things that we can't predict and can't prevent. There's going to be those things that we just don't measure up to. And thanks be to God, I'm not in control. And that there's a loving, powerful, all-knowing God who is. And so we can be Christ-centered and then out of that be grace-driven because God has given us so much love and grace and mercy and forgiveness that we don't deserve and we can just pour it out to others as well. So may we watch out for pride. Another barrier that we might face is insecurity. It's the close cousin of pride because it is too also just fixated on myself and, and what's going on with me. And many of us, the reason that we won't step into a role to serve someone else is because deep down in our hearts, we think, you know what? I really don't have what it takes. I might want to, but I'm going to mess this up. And it's understandable to not want to step into something that we're going to mess up. But here's the problem with that thinking. Is that if I'm never willing to step beyond the fear into faith to serve, even though I may not have what it takes, even though I might mess it up, even though I don't know where it's going to lead. When I step out in faith through the fear, it is only in that moment can I see God do what only God can do, at least in my life. And so for many of us, it's that insecurity that is preventing us to see God doing a greater work in and through our lives. See, the principle that we got to hold on to is this, is that availability must precede capability. See, I can be capable all day long, but if I'm not available to you, then I've got nothing to offer. And as a matter of fact, it's not really even what I'm capable of. That's the point anyway. It's about what God is capable of doing in and through me. And much of the time, we are so fixated on what I'm capable of doing that there's no room for God to do what only God can do. It's like we're looking at God and being like, God, I got this. And I wonder how much of the time God is looking at us and like, yeah, but I could do so much more if you would just let me move in your life. And so we gotta watch out for insecurity and trust him to do what only he can do. Maybe it's not pride, maybe it's not insecurity, maybe for us it's distraction. That there's so many things competing with the place of Jesus in our lives. It's the truth that if everything is important, then nothing is really important. And ultimately, we've got to make a decision of what will be most important in our lives. And if you and I want to follow Jesus, and if he really is the Son of God, and he really came to give his life, and he really rose from the dead, then there is no halfway. Jesus gets everything. He is at the top. There's nobody competing. But so much of the time we allow things to compete with the place of Christ and it all gets diluted and it all gets confused and it all becomes important, meaning that nothing's important. And so much of the stuff is just a distraction for being willing to step into a place to serve others through Jesus. Maybe for some of us, it's activities. And there's so many activities to be done. And so many things that we think that if I don't do this then I'm missing out and we can be so activity driven. But is Christ at the center of it? Is Christ still at the the place of priority in my life? I wonder for those of you mamas here on Mother's Day, those of you who are dads, those of us who have children that we're still trying to guide through life. Let me ask you, when they get to be an adult, Are they going to know Jesus? Are they going to know that they did a lot of activities? Is it a distraction? Or is it an opportunity for what God is calling us to do? Because it doesn't mean that we have to say no to every activity. It just means that it doesn't become the priority. That when I'm on the ball field, it can be a mission field. When I'm in the dance studio, it can be an avenue to live for Christ and share the gospel. That when I'm traveling with that team or that group or the band or whatever it is, that I'm going on a mission and I'm taking Christ with me and I'm going to keep him at the center of it. And then I'm using the tools and resources. There's so many things that we can offer as a church. Online resources and tools and Bible studies. Put it to use. How are we worshiping God each and every week? How are we talking to our children and our spouse and our coworkers about who Christ is in our lives? Are we using it as an opportunity or is it a distraction? Maybe it's not activities. Maybe it's people. Maybe people become a distraction in our lives. Raise your hand if you're a people pleaser. Right? right, Look around. There's some people who are not raising their hand because they're afraid of what you're going to think about them. I wonder how many of us, we are so fixated on what others think that we've forgotten what God thinks about us. Maybe it's not activities or people. Maybe it's comfort. You know what, the highest priority in my life is just to stay in my comfort zone. I want to be comfortable. I want to have nice things around me. And so I I can't be generous because I got to hold on to what I got. I can't step out into that messy place to serve because I don't want to mess it up and it's going to get uncomfortable. And and I don't want to step out and say something to somebody or pray for somebody or be available because that's uncomfortable. And Jesus is not as important to me as my comfort. Some of us got to really wrestle with that, if that's the place where we are. Because Jesus is better. He's better than any distraction. We're gonna talk about this more in a couple of months, but many of us are pursued in life as we just try to balance all the stuff. And as long as we keep it balanced, we just keep piling it on. And many of us are on a heavy, heavy weight of things that are balanced in our life. And we're being crushed by it. And maybe what we need is not to try to balance things, but to create a target in our life and ask the question, is every activity and every relationship and every pursuit moving me toward the target or away from it? And I hope that Jesus is the target because only in him may we find life. So God, help me to deal with the pride. God, help deal with the insecurity. Lord, deal with the distractions in my life and give me a target for you. And when God begins to break those things down as we come to surrender and Jesus, and by faith trust him with our lives and and confess and repent and surrender, God will begin to actually shape us into a new kind of person. Not one who's fearful, not one who's self-centered, but one who trusts God to elevate us. And because he's already elevating us, I can lower myself to serve others. And God will begin to Foster some thinking and feeling and cultivate some things in our lives that will further us along this journey to be a servant. So let me just talk about briefly four things that I think that as we surrender to Christ, he's going to cultivate in our hearts. Here's the first. is He's going to help us to choose mission over preference. That I'm going to come to Jesus and be able to choose what Jesus wants more than what I want. I don't know about you, but I got a lot of preferences in life. There's some things that that I like to be a certain way. Like I, I like my coffee a certain way. I like my calendar a certain way. I like my responsibilities a certain way. My relationships a certain way. I like my church experience to be a certain way. But guess what? It's not about my preference. It's about the mission to get what Jesus wants, what God wants for the world that he made. And so, Lord, help me to let down the preferences and what I think I want in the moment and choose what you want because I know that what you want is always better than what I want. I mean, you are the creator of it all after all. And I'm going to choose to trust you. And yeah, I might feel like I'm missing out for now. But you know what? God has a really good track record of being faithful and good. I'm going to choose to trust him with the mission. God, what do you want? I don't really want to serve this person. They're a pain. They're difficult, but I'm going to serve them anyway because that's what you want. Another thing that God's going to grow up inside of us is he's going to help us lower my ego so that I can raise my impact. Now, the obvious part is the aspect of pride, but I want to lift up a real practical element here. If I will come to Jesus and say, Lord, would you deal with my ego? And we all have an ego. God, would you help break that down? It is only in that that I can raise my impact. And here's why. If every decision and every action and every relationship is about making me look better, feel better, be better, then I'm only elevating one person. But if in turn, through the love of God, I can lower my ego, to serve others, there's a multitude of people that I can lift up. And over my life, I'm going to leave a legacy that was not just about me, but about this multiplying effort that I can move in the lives of others to elevate them. And it's going to ripple out and that I'm going to impact generations to come by a single moment of faithfulness that I can lift others God, help me to lower my ego so that I can raise my impact. I think about the great people in history and more importantly, the great people in my life. And what left a lasting legacy was always their willingness to serve others. So we don't go to funerals and hear about how great people were because they always did what was best for them. We go and we hear those great stories about great people who are willing to lower themselves to elevate others. And leave an impact. What kind of legacy do we want to leave? And the reason we can do this is because we have a faithful God who loves us more than we can imagine, more than any other person, more than we love ourselves. Who, when we trust Him, will lift us up. And it brings us to this next point is to remember that I owe everything to Jesus. I owe everything to Him. All the mamas in the room, all the mamas watching online. Let let me, let me help you understand this. Your children do not owe everything to you. Your children owe everything to Jesus. And I know sometimes it feels like the weight of the world is on you and you just give and you give and you give and you give till you got nothing else to give and you're hoping and believing and praying that something sticks and something happens. But it's only Jesus who can bring that transformation in the life of your son or daughter. It's only Jesus can lead them to the life that he wants for them. Your role is just to be faithful and let God do what God can do. And all of us, we got some great mamas and great dads and great mentors and they have a place in the story of God, but ultimately we owe it all to Jesus. And because of his grace and his work in us, we can live the life that we were created to live. And we can step into this great adventure that God has for us to experience the goodness of God and share it with others Which brings us to this, is that serving is a blessing. Serving is the best way to experience the blessing of God. Jesus said it as he's gathered with those at the table, he washes their feet. Hey guys, I'm doing this to show you who I am and to show you the way to follow me. And if you will receive these things, you will be blessed for doing them. And when I open my life to serve others, I begin to experience the goodness and the power and the truth and the love of God in a way that I wouldn't otherwise be able to because you know where Jesus is? Jesus is where the people are brokenhearted. Jesus is where people are in need. Jesus is where people are desperate and calling out to him. And when we step down to serve others and get with them, Jesus in the midst, he is there. That's where he's found. And when we say, Lord, I wanna be where you are, we experience more of him. That's what it's all about. And then the obvious is when we get in that moment, we're a blessing to others. It's the best way to bless other people is to serve them. Here's the most amazing thing that I know about the gospel of Jesus. Yes, Jesus came to die. He came to rise again. And when we have faith in him, we have the hope of heaven. We have the hope of eternity with him. But that's not the most amazing thing to me. That's an incredible gift that we'll never be able to, to move on from. Like that, that's everything. But the most incredible part of it is that Jesus doesn't just zap us up to heaven. He says, no, 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 no. I want you to be a part of changing history with me. I think about it. That is unbelievable. I. Mean, If the President of the United States, and I don't care what you think about him as a person, but the office itself, if the President of the United States called you up on the phone and said, hey, I got a special role, a special job just for you. You were made to do it. You're the only one who can do it. And we're dependent on you. You would be blown away by that. And yet the God of the universe says, I got a special role for you. Only you can do it. You were made to do this and I'm gonna change the world through you. I want you to come and join me to change everything forever. And you're like, oh man. I got a pretty full schedule right now, God. And like, I'm not sure if I can do that. Yet God is going to bring people into your life today, this week, as you go to work tomorrow, you go to school, in your family, in your neighborhood. God is going to bring people into your path because he has an appointment with you that you can serve them, love them, lift them, move in their life in a way that only you can do. That is amazing that we can move in somebody's life that God can move in their life through you. And it's not that God needs you. It's just, he loves you so much. He wants you to be a part of it. And he wants to bring you into this amazing adventure. Because here's what I know about all of us. We tend to fall into one of two camps. The first, it may be where a lot of you mamas land this morning on this Mother's Day as you're giving and you're giving and you're giving and you serve and you serve and you serve and you bite your tongue and you hold your breath and you do all this stuff and you are tired. You're worn out and here's why, because everything you're doing is in your own power. Everything you're doing is based on what you think and what you're trying to do And your effort and Jesus comes as he said come to me all of you who are heavy laden and I'll give you rest because really what Jesus wants to do he just wants you to be available not capable now he'll lead you to where you need to be and what you were created to do and you'll find that you are more capable than what you realize but it starts with being available and saying God I'm worn out because I'm trying to do it on my own I need you to take control I got to stop stressing and having anxiety and getting frustrated. And yeah, I want some of this stuff to stick, but I need to trust you with it and I need you to do what only you can do. That's where some of us are. And then some of us, we land in another camp where we're not tired, but it's just because we're bored. The whole life that we've been living is all about me and what I want, what I think, what my plan is. And that's a very small life to live. If your life is all about your paycheck and your vacation and, and what you like and what makes you feel comfortable and what you want and, and everything being about you, you will find yourself bored. That's why when we're around 40 or 50, we go through this midlife crisis because it's not what we thought it would be. And God has something better. And so it's this tension that we live in. Lord, I'm going to step out and serve and keep serving, but I'm going to lean into you and let you be responsible for what you can only do. And when I'm tired, I'm going to rest. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to lean into you. But I'm not going to live a small life that's just about me. I'm going to step into the adventure that you created for me. I'm going to choose, not be forced. I'm going to choose to be a servant because you serve me. And it boils down to this question. What is my next step? My next tangible step. Am I being called to serve in a relationship? Maybe a role uh, in my church, in an organization, in my workplace, in my being called to change my mindset that it's not about what I can do but what Jesus can do or to step into a a bigger life that I want to be a part of the adventure of what you're doing Lord I'm tired of living for me what is your next step and I'm just inviting you to listen to the Lord for that next step and just focus on the next step because you don't have to understand everything to do something and there's a next step for all of us if we just trust him He came to serve. He is the way that we can follow after him. We can be servants. So as you'll stand in this moment, we're going to sing one more song. And I am going to pray for us as we lean into that. These altar rails are open. If you got anything going on in your life, a a relationship, a decision, a, a crossroads, an illness. And you need to pray about that. By all means, come and pray about that. But I specifically want to issue a call that you would be leaning into the Lord and saying, God, what's my next step? If you need clarity, if you need courage, if you need some encouragement, if you need some strength to step into that next step, I want to invite you to come down and pray at these altars and say, God, I'm submitting to you. If you want one of us to pray with you, just wave us over. We'd be honored and love to do that. But come and say, Lord, I'm bowing down for you. I'm going to choose to do it so that I'm not forced to do it one day. I want to serve you. So let me pray for us and then we'll sing. God, we love you and we praise you. Thank you, God, that you came to do what we couldn't do. You took on flesh. You gave your life. You came to serve us even though everything belongs to you, you let it go, that that we might have a part of it with you, that by faith in Christ, we could step into eternity. Thank you for your love and your mercy and your kindness. Help us to be Jesus-centered and grace-driven in our lives, to point everything back to you and to love other people without waiting for return of any kind, but just loving them based on what you've done for us. Help us, God, to lean into that. Come and speak to us right now about that next step that we can be closer to you and more in line and more in step with who we're created to be. God, help us by your mercy and grace to do that work in us right now. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to understand. Help us to submit to you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray and in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.